0: Hi and welcome back to Spatulas and Speculations. I am your unofficial professor and this is the unofficial SJM 101 and today we are going to be talking about that sticky syrup in the pancake metaphor. We are going to talk all about the word and everything we know about the word, word marks, word gates, Word stone, a tiny, tiny bit about the word hounds, and where we can see word and word marks throughout the rest of the SJM universe, and not just in Tog. Now, because I just said we we're going to be going through all three book series, there will be SJM universe spoilers. So if you haven't finished reading all of the books, then save this podcast, follow me on my socials, come back and join the conversation when you are done. And before we even start any further, I have to do that disclaimer that I do for every single episode. And that is, I don't speak for Sarah. I don't speak for Bloomsbury. These are my thoughts. These are my opinions. I, I know this is a canonic episode, so there won't be much theory talk. And if there is, I'll tell you the second disclaimer that I have to do every single time. Because believe it or not, people still come for me about my pronunciation. I know I pronounce it wrong. I am sorry. I work really hard to try and continuously practice and learn how to pronounce things, and sometimes when I read stuff for a long, long, long amount of time, because I don't talk a lot in my day-to-day life. Like, I'm alone 90% of the time, so when I have to go and record for, like, an hour, an hour and a half, my mouth gets, like, like, real mushy, and I... You know, I I'm just on un- my vocal cords are not very used, so podcasting is somewhat of a like athletic event for me at times. So if I pronounce it wrong, if I mush mouth, I'm sorry. I'm working on it. I'm trying to get better. So today we're gonna be talking about the word. Now there is a lot of information packed in here, and while I went through every single time, word is used in all of Throne of Glass, and it's like two thousand times um, I have condensed that information and then I condensed it again. So today's class is going to be set up quite a bit different than all of my other times. Usually I go in set publication order basically through series and I just kind of give you all the information kind of bang, 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 bang. I'm going to do it a little bit differently. So I'm going to be starting with what is the word and then I'll give you all of the information that we have on the word throughout all three series and then we'll go into what are word marks and then where can we see all of these word marks in all three series and then what are word gates and then we'll go through all the information we have on word gates throughout all these series and then we'll go into what are word keys. It's just kind of that continuous. It's going to be kind of a, a mixed class so it, I know it sounds like it's going to be chaotic, but I find that this chaos, (laughs) because I thrive in chaos, obviously, actually cleared some things up for me. And I think I actually have a really good understanding of what Sarah was talking about with these realms and with the gates and all this stuff. Whereas before I was kind of confused. I wasn't sure if I was like, I'm still confused on how she, she kind of, switches up the the wording between realms and worlds because she does just kind of interchange them I do think I have a really good understanding now of what she meant and I think I'm 98% sure not mm, I think 98 is too high I'd say I'm 95% confident in these last few episodes of the podcast in what I've been saying with the pancake theory and today's class is really going to solidify that and then next class I will be that last you know little edge that will fill in the, this, you can't see my hands, but I'm making a, a thing. I'm making a shape with them. Fill it all in, smooth it all over, because next week we'll be talking about worlds. So what is the word? The first time we get mentioned of word and word mark is after Selena Aelin had seen them around the castle and not really known what they were. And her and Nehemiah, Nehemiah, I kind of say it both ways. It just depends on my mood. I preferably would like to say Nehemiah because it kind of sounds like Jeremiah. And I think Nehemiah is a biblical name, so it kind of fits. But I think technically most people yell at me about it is Nehemiah. I don't know. Say however you want. Do whatever makes you happy. I might switch it up throughout the episode, but that is just how it is. (laughs) It's, so they, they're, they're taking a walk in the garden and they see Cain digging at the dirt. And it says this, this is in Throne of Glass 27. He dug out the dirt packed into the hollows of a strange mark in the flagstone, making the mark clearer. What do you think it is? She asked the princess, pointing at the mark etched into the tile, and why had Cain been cleaning it? A word mark, the princess replied, giving it a name in Selena's own language. Selena's brows rose. It was just a triangle inside of a circle. Can you read these marks? She asked. A word mark? How strange. No, Nehemia said quickly. They are part of an ancient religion that died long ago. What religion? Selena asked. "'Look, there's another,' she pointed to a mark a few feet away. "'It was just a vertical line with inverted peaks stretching upward from its middle. "'You should leave it alone,' Nehemia said sharply, and Selena blinked. "'Such things were forgotten for a reason.'" Further down uh, in the chapter, further in the chapter, we get this. "'What were word marks, and where did they come from? "'And more importantly, why had she never heard of them before?' They had been all over Elena's tomb, too. An ancient religion from a forgotten time. What were they doing here? And at the crime scene, there had to be a connection. So far, she hadn't learned much. I'm going to skip a little bit further down, and I'm going to read the part that I skipped when we talk about word marks, because right now we're just focusing on the word as a whole. Stop glowering and sulking, Cale chided. As he looked at the title of the book, neither of them had mentioned Xavier's murder. She had gleaned no more information about it. Remind me what you're reading? Nothing, she said again, covering the book with her arms, but his brown eyes narrowed further, and she sighed. It's just it's just about word marks. Those sundial things by the clock tower. I was interested, so I started learning about them. A half truth, at least. She waited for the sneer and sarcasm, but it didn't come. He only said, and why the frustration? She looked at the ceiling, pouting. All I can find is just, just radical and outlandish theories. I never knew any of this. Why? Some books claim that the word is a force that holds together and governs Aurelia. And not just Aurelia, countless other worlds too. "'I've heard it before,' he said, picking up his books, but his eyes remained fixed on her face. "'I always thought the word was just an old term for fate or destiny.' "'So did I. But the word isn't a religion, at least not in the northern parts of the continent, and it's not included in the worship of the goddess or the gods.' He set the book in his lap. "'Is there a point to this beyond your obsession with those marks in the garden? Are you that bored? Worried for my safety is more like it?' No. Yes. It's interesting. Some theorists suggest that the mother goddess is just a spirit from one of those other worlds and that she strayed through something called a word gate and found Aurelia in need of form and life. That sounds a little sacrilegious, he warned. He was old enough and to more vividly recall the burnings and executions 10 years ago. And then a little bit further down, But she went on needing to dump the contents of her mind in case all the pieces somehow assembled by speaking them aloud. Oh, Aelin, my girlfriend, that's what the whole podcast is. You should come on sometime. Uh, Anyways, there is an idea that before the goddess arrived, there was life, an ancient civilization, but somehow they disappeared, perhaps through that word gate thing. Ruins exist, ruins too old to be a fae making. Um, you know what? I read that and it always stuck out to me. And I have it, like, you know, tabbed and noted in my book. Um, why did my brain just go, what if Aurelia is the Val, uh, the Val, Falco- what if Aurelia is the Asteri homeworld? Hmm. Ruins that exist, ruins too old to be a fae making. And I know some people are like, it was probably Valk. And I'm like, well, no, because we have the written whatever from when the Valk first came to Aurelia. And the Fae were already there. So it's not the Valk. It's something else. And it's before the, the, the mother came. The mother is who created the Fae. So it's, it can't be Valk. Ooh, this is interesting. That's an interesting thought process I'm going to have to save for later thoughts. And then she ends up talking about word Wordgates. Um, we're going to talk about this passage when we talk about word gates. And she ends up talking about the, she finds The Walking Dead for the first time. We're not going to talk about The Walking Dead today because I want to do a whole episode on these books, The Book of Breathings, The Walking Dead, the books that um, are in Jezebel's library, the library of pa- Parthos, Pathos later. So I'm just going to put a pin in that and I'm going to put in the pin that Israelia, the first place where the hysteria came from. Could you imagine? That is one help, like we're all trying to see like, oh, is she gonna bring Tog? Is she gonna bring Tog? Uh that would be one really interesting way to bring Tog into this. I don't It's an interesting thought. I'm not sure how I feel about it. It is just an interesting thought. It's an interesting thought nonetheless, like not even if it is the Asturias home homeworld, just that there were these ancient beings that were there before the Fey, before the mother goddess. Hmm, interesting. What if there was somebody who lived on Aurelia before and then the Asteria came and then they decided to leave because they ran out of food. And then the mother goddess found it empty and was like, "I'll just put my fae here." That's interesting. Interesting thought. Anyways, in Com 40 we learn this. Yellow legs looks towards another mirror. The word governs and forms the foundations of this world, not just Aurelia, but all life. There are worlds that exist beyond your knowledge, worlds that lie on top of each other and don't know it. Right now, you could be standing at the bottom of someone else's ocean. The word keeps these realms apart. Yellow legs began to hobble around the sitting area, lost in her own words. I'm going to explain this passage right now, whereas all the other ones I'll explain after. I am thinking that the pancake theory is far more correct than I gave myself credit for. The word keeps these realms apart and these realms are what are in between these worlds. If that, like, this is what I'm saying, how I feel like I have a deeper understanding now that I'm looking at all the information on the word and not just on the realms, that what I'm the pancake theory I think it's like ninety-five percent correct. Ninety-five percent correct. There is a five percent chance I'm totally wrong, in which case, I really hope we get like a super awesome, clear understanding. Like someone just reads like forty chapters worth (laughs) of a his like murals history books in the book, like Book Inception. I would list. I would read that. That's me. I would read that. I'd find that interesting. I probably just need to, like, read the World of Throne of Glass book that will probably never come out. That would be great. But also, if the World of Throne of, the world of, Throne of Glass never comes out, then I will settle for, or, you know, preferably Azriel reading it aloud because I think Azriel would just have a really, really nice reading voice of him just, like, flipping through a whole big book of creation and reading it aloud to, like, the Inner Circle or Nyx at bedtime and we get to read him reading, some reading inception, I'm down for that. In Com 45, and I know it says word marks, but we're, I think it's more or less talking about the word. It says because it was the other thing the word keys could do, the other power that the word marks controlled, life. This is, so this is my, this is a theory. So breaking canon, here's a theory. I think that, and it'll be proven further down as we, go deeper into this conversation of the word, but I'm going to put the ear, the little bug in your ear so that you can keep looking out for what I'm, what I'm thinking of. If that makes any sense. I think that people who have raw magic, specifically Dorian and Maeve, I think Maeve has raw magic, um, on top of, like, she's a Valg who has, or Valg, mm, Valg Valg-ish, she's Valg-ish, um, who has raw magic. I think Dorian had, we know Dorian has raw magic. Elena also had raw magic, but I think raw magic is simply manipulation of the word, and you'll see further down, further on, why I think this, but I'm going to keep that, I'm just going to put that in your ear so you can look for it later. In Com 46, uh, Crown of Midnight 46, it says this, Well, Brandon once told me that if you had all three keys, then you have control over the word gate. I think it's fair to assume that the current king would have to have tried his hand at conquering other realms or enslaving creatures to conquer the rest of ours if he had all three. Word save us if that happens. Word, Mort laughed. You're pleading with the wrong force. If he controls the word, you're going to have to find another means of saving yourself. I e the word is not necess- is not a sentient thing. It's I don't know. It's not a sentient thing. In Crescent City, they give Erd, which Erd and word are the same thing. They mean the same thing, um, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. They give Erd a is a female is a is a being, and the king actually, are it is it, it kind of corrects people when they're in Erd's temple. It's not a being. It's it's something. It's it's the magic of the mother goddess, basically. I just wanna There we go. That's the word is a thing. In Era Fire forty one, Ailen Selena is 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 working on the bonfires and this is where that this conversation of raw magic comes from. It started from and then I went back and read that and I was like, Okay, now it makes sense. She says this She tapped a foot, bobbing her head, eyes on the three smokeless fires and the silhouettes dancing around them she did want to dance. Not from joy, but because she felt her fire and the music meld and pulse against her bones. The music was a tapestry woven of light and dark and color, building delicate links in a chain that latched onto her heart and spread out into the world, binding her to it, connecting everything. She understood then. Word marks—the word—were were a way of harnessing those threads, weaving and binding the very essence of things. Magic could do the same. From her power, from her imagination and will and core, she could create and shape. Easy. She could barely hear him, Rowan, above the wave of the sound filling her up, making her feel each tether binding her to the earth, each infinite thread, for a breath she wished for a shapeshifter's heart so that she could shed her skin and weave herself into something else, the music or the wind, and blow across the world. Her eyes were stinging, almost blurry from staring so long at the flames, and a muscle in her back twinged. Now, further down, before I... just further down, in Air Fire 56, Kale says this about what Selena said. "'Dorian had raw power,' Selena had said." a power to be shaped as he willed it. That was the only thing similar enough to the power of the word keys. Neither good nor evil. So Dorian's magic gets likened to the word keys, to the power of the word. And in Tower of Dawn, throughout all the series, really, it just, I want to just point out that the word works outside of the bindings of magic, which we already know I'm not going to spend much time talking about it. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time before we talk about the erd, I want to talk about the real life, real world, out of the SJM universe stuff, and talk about what erd and word mean. Word erd is a Anglo-Saxon Norse term for fate or destiny. The symbol of the word is also the same symbol for Jurgensdale, the tree of life. And Erd is one of the norns. The norns are the three figures that weave and bind fate. They are depicted as three women at the root of Jurgensdale. Jurgensdale is the tree of life that is an ash tree of life that connects all of the nine realms. And I want to read you guys this little bit of information that I pulled from the internet from a I have a pretty great understanding of Norse mythology. I'm not like an expert of it, but it's just something I've always been interested in, so I know a a steady amount of information from it. And I want to just read you from what I researched for this episode of the podcast. The web, meanwhile, represents fate and how it intertwines the web... Meanwhile, represents fate and how it intertwines with the past, present, and future of all beings. For the Vikings, the web of the word is a reminder that what is done in the past affects the present, and the things that are done in the present will affect the future. This symbol shares the same meaning as Jurgensdale, the tree of life. Like most symbols in Norse mythology, the number nine is a distinct feature in the web of the word. Aside from the nine straight lines, the web of the word also was a rune letter in its design. The runes are of the Viking alphabet and said to have been discovered by Odin himself. Said runes were believed to carry the fate of the entire universe and this explains the significance of the web of the word and its connection in the destiny of all beings. So Norse myth of word and erd are really the influence of word marks or the word and that word marks are like Viking runes and that these word marks manipulate the word, these threads of fate that run through all of the worlds. We talked a lot about fate in the last episode, and I'll briefly mention it again later, but basically this idea of word and the fate that we talked about in last episode are all the same thing, and they're all just the same as the word in Norse mythology. So if you really want to have a better understanding of what the word is in Sjm, just do a bit of Google searching for the word in Norse mythology in Crescent City. We learn a tiny little bit about Erd. We don't get a lot of information about the Erd or Erd herself. Um, mostly it's just people cursing erd (laughs) which a lot of throne of glass if you if you just type in word in your search on like your kindle search uh we just get sayings of like word help me uh by the word like like oh by the word um they pray to the word god's above and word save me word keep him thank the word word damn me i swear by the word the word owed her, the word new, and you can interchange that in Crescent City, but with a little bit more swear words for Erd. Basically the same thing. And the first time we really get mention of Erd is in Crescent City 16, and it says this, could it really be a coincidence that the murders were starting again at the same time his father had given him the order to find the object that had gone missing a week before Danica's death? It felt odd, like Urd was whispering and nudging them all, which is very similar to what the threads of fate feeling that we talked about last week, how people were nudged and and pushed forward by these threads of fate or these woven threads of the mother or however Manon says it. In Crescent City 24, Bryce says this, Bryce ran until her body screamed to stop, ran until her phone buzzed, and she wondered if Erd herself had extended a golden hand. This, I mean, I need, I'm not on my Crescent, I haven't tabbed Crescent City, 90% of Crescent City and Hosab is, like, a fever dream, and whenever I have to, like, pull stuff up for the podcast, I'm, like, what? What? I just, like, I just get, like, ugh. I, I can't even, there's no word for what I feel, but there is a feeling that I feel inside of me, and it's, ah! Like, a golden hand. What does that mean? It makes me think of, and I'll, mention it later, the glowing hand, the mother's glowing hand. Well, it's probably the mother, actually, because now that I'm thinking about it, as we'll see further down in House of Sky and Breath, The Under King says something that basically says that Earth is the mother. Um, In Crescent City 87, it says this: when she had seen her father's cruelty, seen how the starborn gift had gave her brother just the slightest edge against the fucking monster, seen the pride in her brother denied, but undoubtedly felt that being starborn, blessed and chosen by Erd. I'm curious to this term, that being starborn, blessed and chosen by Erd. Um, as you'll see throughout the rest of this episode, and as I keep talking, healers, healers. Mala's bloodline and starborn are all sort of connected to this, to the word. And so I think it's just a further piece of evidence that they are all sort of, the, they're all the same, basically, that starborn, at least starborn and healers are connected and they are the same. And this kind of sets that little, like, little blinking light inside of me that goes, ah, 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 in hosab 6 they talk about how they talk about bryce is talking about mates and she says there were several different definitions of the term mate though bryce supposed that to ethan to a shifter only one mattered one's true lover predestined by erd by fate which is very similar to like the mother in or the cauldron i guess i should say in agatar choosing mates same thing in hosab 18 It says, Therian headed for the door again, I'm sure you do, but a word of advice, don't take too long. Erd works in strange ways. I don't think it's a coincidence that you were brought here right as this shit started. So I'm supposed to go along with it for some hunch that fate is nudging me. So fate and Erd are now interchanged in uh, Crescent City. In Hoseb 19 it says this, but Erd must have sent her back to the apartment just now for this. She exhaled, ran a hand over the pages, the final pages in the pile that made Bryce's breath catch. And this is when she sees um, the dust truth papers, the term dust truth for the first time. This is again another um, connection between this thread of fate that keeps running between everyone to pull them to do certain things. It's just in this, in, in Crescent City, it sounds more like that someone is using a hand to push them rather than a thread. Because as, as I said last week, there aren't a lot of threads in Crescent City. In Hosab 64, this is, this is great. This is great. I love this. A pyre smoked atop a black stone altar at the center of the temple. A stone thrown at the dias loomed near the space. No statues ever adorned urd's temple no depiction of the goddess was ever made fate took too many forms to capture in one figure and then further down the underking rose black robes drifting on a phantom wind i thought the fey bowed to luna perhaps you remember the old beliefs from a time when urd was n- not a goddess but a force winding between worlds and that she was a vat of life a mother to all a secret language of the universe. The fae worshipped her then. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, basically that the mother, the she was a vat of life, cauldron, a mother to all, the all-mother that the fae used to worship her. And the Asteri probably erased her. <laughs> what did we learn about the word in all of these? The word was a religion. I think that Nehemiah was probably more or less saying what the underking had just said and I wonder if that this religion is actually what the wayfarers that that we learned about in koa the people who could like walk between worlds I wonder if their religion was the word I'd be interested I want you know people are like, Throne Glass is done. Don't bring Throne of Glass in. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, but we got so many unanswered questions. So many things that like pull towards the multiverse that we just didn't get. Not multiverse, but the SJM universe that we just didn't get answers to. And the one thing that I just like desperately want to know more about is those wayfarers. The Who was it that Maeve had went to go visit in the Deadlands and refused to tell her their secrets? So the word is is the force that binds the worlds, the syrup that goes through the pancakes. That it's not a person, but rather something that can be shaped and that the word is a thread of magic that could be shaped that Freya in Norse myth used and is associated with is a loom, these threads of fate these that she can kind of manipulate the word. I think it's the same thing and that raw magic can do this same ability. Okay, what are word marks? What do they look like? How are they used? what information do we have on word marks? Well, there's kind of a lot, but I condensed it down enough to really just get the bulk of it. And in Throne of Glass, chapter 27, we read the section, um, we read most of it earlier when Selena is in the library with Kale going over the books and I skipped a bit. This is one of those bits that I skipped. Word marks were an alphabet, though according to this book, no grammar existed with the word marks. Everything was just symbols that one had to string together. And they changed meaning depending on the marks around them. They are painfully difficult to draw and they required precise lengths and angles, or they became something else entirely. Later in Throne of Glass, on, in chapter 42, Selena sees Cain using them, and she says this he dragged a hand across the floor before the darkness, and a greenish light sprung from where his fingertips passed before being sucked into a void like wraiths on a wind one of his hands was bleeding further down at this is when nehemiah is healing selena after she was bitten by one of those valve things she says this selena's hand burned when it touched the water and she thrashed but the princess held her firm saying words in a tongue the assassin didn't understand the light of the room pulsed and her skin tingled. Selena found her arm covered in glowing turquoise marks, word marks. And then in Tog 51, when Nehemiah Nehemiah is kind of giving her all the truth, we get this. Nehemia nodded. I was doing research on word marks, as you call them in your language. Kind of interesting. I'm curious as to what they're called in Elwell. I know we never get true, like, to see even what Elwell might even sort of sound like, but I wonder... I wonder, this is a little bit headcanony, if it's erred to them. Just a little thought, just a little headcanon for you. I lied to you when I said I didn't know anything about them. I know all about them. I know how to read them and how to use them. My entire family does. But we kept it a secret, passed down from generation to generation. They are only to be used as a last defense against evil or the gravest of illness. And here, with Magic Band, well... Even though the word marks are a different kind of power, I'm sure that if people discovered I was using them, I'd be imprisoned for it. Selena tried to sit up higher, cursing herself for being unable to move without wanting to faint from the pain. You were using them? Nehemiah nodded gravely. We kept them a secret because of the terrible power they wield. Terrible in that it can be used for good or evil, though most have used their power for wicked deeds." Since the moment I arrived here, I was aware that someone was using word marks to call forth demons from the other worlds, realms beyond our realms. And then Selena says, You used word marks to heal me. And then she says, Yeah. <laughs> and then they talk a little bit more about, you know, realms and gates. And we reread most of this last time. But basically, I just want to point out that one, Elwell uses word marks. And she even later says in that in that sent in that Chunk. All I know is that Kane knew the secrets of my people's power. Power that had long been forgotten in the lands of the north. And that troubles me. You know, like I said, out of all the things, like we need answers on um, LL. They know so much. They know so much. Later in Tog 53, she says this when she was. Finally did sleep, her dreams were filled with archaic words and long-forgotten faces, with word marks that glowed blue, with the king, with a dead army summoned from the realms of hell. Upon waking, she did her best to forget them, especially the magic. In com 16, when Nehemia and Selena go to the tomb for the first time, which, I mean, Nehemia had already been there, but she, whatever. It says this, Mort huffed what sounded like a violent stream of curses and Nehemiah's. Nehemiah's. And Nehemiah's. Mort huffed what sounded like a violent stream of curses and Nehemiah's eyes twinkled as they entered the tomb. It's incredible, the princess whispered, gazing at the walls where the word marks had been written. What does it say? Death, eternity, rulers, Nehemia recited. Standard tomb posturing. And a little further down, an eye no larger than her palm was etched into the wall, a hole that was bored in the center and a perfectly crafted puncture that had been carefully concealed within the eye. The wordmark itself made a face while the other eye was filled in and smooth. This one had hollowed out irises. I just, I know I like, I don't know. I, it's kind of interesting that, uh, this is a little break in this that Farrah's tattoo, which we're going to talk about, um, at the end of all of the wordmark, like, after we go through all the Throne of Glass wordmark stuff, we'll talk about the Illyrian tattoos. Because, spoiler alert, I think they're wordmarks. But the, the eye on Farrah's palm is so similar to the eye of Alina. Like, very, very similar. And this, like this little chunk, just keeps making me go like, "Uh, oh, Vera's tattoo, uh, oh, Vera's tattoo." <laughs> and then she says later on, "But the word mark seemed so connected to everything somehow." Further down, Nahemia does, does agree to teach Selena the basics, and she says, "Uh, maybe just the basics." Nahemia smiled. The basics are the hardest part. Usefulness aside it was a forgotten secret language, a system for accessing a strange power. Who wouldn't want to learn about it? Fair. In Crown of Midnight 18, when Nehemia and Aelin are doing their first lessons, she just says that it was a complex, near nonsensical language. She had learned a few languages before, enough to get by, but word marks were completely different. In Crown of Midnight 43, this is the first time Aelin actually uses word marks, I believe. this. I think this is the, actually the first time she ever uses word marks on her own. She was at a sealed iron door a moment later. She didn't give herself the luxury of reconsidering her plan as she took out her piece of chalk and traced two word marks into the door, whispering the accompanying words at the same time. They burned in her tongue, but when she finished speaking, she heard a faint Dull thud as something in the door slid open. She swore under her breath. The spell truly worked. She didn't want to think about what all that implied, about how it was able to work on iron, the one element supposedly immune to magic. Not when there were so many awful spells contained in The Walking Dead spells to summon demons, to raise the dead, and to torture others until they begged for death. I'm almost kind of this is just a thought I'm having now that I'm reading it. I'm kind of curious to see if word marks would work on ash. It works on iron, and I wonder if it wouldn't work on what Perithian Fae are immune to, like Bane and stuff like that. I'm just kind of, that's just something I'm kind of curious about. I bet it would, but I don't know. It'd be interesting if it didn't, and what that would imply. So what's confusing to me, as we just read, is that Nehemia used chalk to put protection spells in selena's room in the very beginning selena uses chalk to u- to 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 do a word mark on the door and it works and yet other times they need to use blood but it's never really it doesn't say when you need to use blood and when you need to use chalk or when you don't need to use blood of magic wielders it's just like there's like i don't know if it's just a continuity thing and i'm getting a little nitpicky but it would be helpful to have a tiny little bit of understanding on that. In Crown of Midnight 47 is when she opens a gate to see Nehemia. And she says this. The cut on her arm throbbed, but Selena kept her hand steady as she dipped her finger again into her blood and traced the mark on the wall, accompanying the symbols in the book with perfect precision. They formed an archway, a door, and her blood gleamed in the light of the candle she had brought. It had to be perfect. Each symbol had to be flawless or else it wouldn't work. She kept pressing the wound to keep it from clotting. Not everyone could harness the marks. No. The Walking Dead said there had to be power in the blood to do it. Cain clearly had some trace of power and that must be why the king rounded up Caltin and Roland too. He used word marks to suppress magic, He must have some way of harnessing the innate power in someone's blood and the word marks must be able to access that power too. She drew another symbol, nearly finished with the archway. Their power could warp things. It warped Cain, but it had also allowed him to summon the Riddick and gain even more power for himself. Thank the word, Cain was dead. There was one more mark left to draw, the one that could bring her the person she so desperately needed to see, if only for a moment. It was complex, a weave of loops and angles. She took out her chalk and practiced on the floor until she got it right, and then she etched it in the blood on the wall. Nehemia's name in wordmark form. She examined the door she'd drawn and got to her feet, the book held in her clean hand. She cleared her throat and began to read the words on the page. She didn't know the language. Her throat burned and contracted, as if fighting the sound, but she panted through it. The words making her teeth ache like she'd come in from the cold and was drinking something hot. And the final words were out, her eyes were watering. No wonder this kind of power fell out of favor. The symbols were written and her blood began to glow, green, one after another, until the whole archway was lined in light. The stones within the border darkened, 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 and then disappeared. The blackness within the green archway seemed to reach out for her. It had worked. Holy gods, it had worked. Was that what waited for her when she died? Nehemia had gone here? Nehemia, she whispered, her throat raw from the spell. There was nothing, nothing there, just a void. Selena looked at the book and then to the wall and the symbol she had drawn. She had written it correctly. The spell was right. Nehemia, she whispered towards the endless dark. There was no response. And then in Crown of Midnight 50, when she seals up, The marks, it says this. One by one, she drew a ceiling mark over the green glowing symbols. Queen of Shadows, 17. It says this. The light hit her, shining through the lace of the costume sleeves to reveal swirls and whirls of markings on her skin, identical to the paint on the dancer's arms and chest, save for her back, where the paint was a little darker, a little different. That was when Selena had covered herself in word marks for protection against... The vowed prince that was in Dorian at the time when they go to rescue Adian. In the next chapter, Queen of Shadows 18, she does this. Faster Adian, she breathed, but he was already lagging. She paused and sliced her blood-soaked wrist with a dagger before sketching the unlocking word mark on each of his manacles. Again, light flared and burned, and then the cuffs sprang open silently. So I don't really know... Before I, I say something on, on what she just did here, I want to read the next cha- a section from the next chapter in Queen of Shadows 19. You warded yourself, clever, lovely, human thing. She spent all morning painting every inch of her body with word marks on her own blood mixed with ink to hide the color. And then further down, she fixed her eyes on the prince as she began to trace a symbol with her foot further down lunged and then froze when he passed over the word mark she had drawn on the ground with the, with her foot. A quick and dirty mark to hold him. It wouldn't last more than a few moments. So I don't know why sometimes she uses blood and sometimes she doesn't need to use blood. I guess you could argue that Selena might have been dripping blood and she just like smeared it into the dirt and that was enough. But it doesn't say that. So I'm not sure if like, when does a word mark need blood and when does it not? Is it just when there's iron involved? But that doesn't make sense because the door that she opens in Crown of Midnight was an iron door. And she just used chalk for that. I think it could be a... Like, con- I never want to say, like, that, like, Sarah hasn't thought something out or that Sarah could be wrong because I will defend Sarah with my dying breath. But I almost wonder if it's, like, a continuity thing because throughout like the rest of it they always use blood and i just i don't know why sometimes she doesn't <laughs> you know <laughs> in tower of dawn when Eurene first finds the scrolls and the song of beginnings she doesn't know what word marks are she never heard of them she says that they she did not recognize the strange markings rune of some sort She had no inkling either, only the scrolls that had been wedged beside the Elwell tomes in the level of the library so deep beneath the ground that Eurine had never ventured there. Little break. I am curious, in the very bottom of the library in Akasif, there are books there. I wonder if they could be books with word marks in them, books with Elwell written in them. I'm just curious it makes my brain itch tiny bit. In Koa 30, and I'm not gonna, I, I, I actually censored a little bit of this because I had to read through the entire section of this chapter, and if you don't know what Koa 30 is, it's when Rowan has found Aelin again after she's escaped from Maeve, and she has the mask on, and she's begging them to take it off, I cried a little bit (laughs) reading it just even just for note, like for this podcast, just taking them the bits for the podcast. So I did censor it a little bit and I'm not even going to read it for you (laughs) because I just don't want to hurt you. But uh, she traced the symbol on the shackle of her ankle and a soft flare of greenish light, and then a hiss inside the lock filled the clearing. The shackles tumbled into the moss. And then again, there's a flare of light, a click of metal, and then the mask slides free. And they use Rowan's blood for that, I forgot to say. Later in CoA we learn that Aelin teaches Rowan and Alid how to read and use word marks to some extent, and also that Lorcan is sort of listening in. I just want to point that out that they do learn how to use them, Obviously, Rowan does because he tattoos word marks on Aiden's back later on, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So, I just want to point it out that they're in this timeline, that's when they learn it. Now, where else can we see word marks throughout the rest of the SJM universe? Now, before we get into it, this is going to be theory a tiny little bit about theory talk. And also, I just want to point out that word marks are described in a lot of ways because some people like to come at me for this throughout the Throne of Glass, it, they're normally described as, when looking at a very larger picture, when when talking about Elena's tomb, for example, it's described as swirls and whirls, almost exclusively, unless she's depicting a very specific etching or a very specific mark. And then she'll talk about triangles and lines and all that stuff. But for the most part, they're described as swirls and whirls. So bear that in mind as we continue forward. In Agatar chapter 2, there are, it says this I kicked my boots against the stone of the door frame, knocking snow from them. Bits of ice came free from the gray stones of the cottage, revealing the faded ward mark, W A R D marking etched around the threshold. My father had once convinced a passing charlatan to trade the engravings against the fae harm in exchange for one of his wood carvings. There was so little that my father was able to ever do for us that I hadn't possessed the heart to tell him that the engravings were useless and undoubtedly fake. Mortals didn't possess magic, didn't possess any superior strength and speed of the fairies or high fae. The man claiming some fae blood in his ancestry, had just carved the whorls and swirls and runes around the door and windows muttering a few nonsense words and ambled away. It really does sound like word marks. It sounds like word marks and like the way that they describe speaking the word language when they're doing spells as well. The next time I think we see word marks is in Actar 13. I think I mentioned this chap this little bit every single episode and I'm gonna keep mentioning it. But this is when Farrah is in Tam's study and she's looking at the mural of the creation of Perithian and she says this, it began with a cauldron, a mighty black cauldron, Mm -hmm. black cauldron, wordstone maybe, held by glowing slender female hands in a starry endless night. Those hands tipped it over, Golden, sparkling liquid poured out over the lip. No, not sparkling, but effervescent, with small symbols, perhaps some ancient fairy language. Whatever was written there, whatever it was, the contents of the cauldron were dumped into the void below, pooling onto the earth to form our world. Basically goes along with what the Underking had said earlier. A glowing hand, kind of like what Bryce had said about the Urds golden hand pushing her or something like that. In Agitar 37, when Reese and Pharaoh make their bargain, we get this. What have you done to me? Risan stood running a hand through his short, dark hair. It's custom in my court for bargains to be permanently marked upon flesh. I rubbed my left forearm and hand the entirety of which was now covered in swirls and whirls of black ink. Even my fingers weren't spared, and the large eye was tattooed at the center of my palm. It was feline, and its slitted pupil stared right back at me. Make it go away, I said, and he laughed. You humans are truly grateful creatures, aren't you? From a distance, the tattoo looked like an elbow-length lace glove, but when I held it close to my face, I could detect the intricate depiction of flowers and curves that flowed throughout to make up a larger pattern permanent and forever. The words that she uses to describe her tattoo basically describe Elena's tomb. It swirls and whirls. Like, you step back and they depict a larger scene. She talks about, like, Flora and Fauna being on the ceiling. And later in, uh, in Akatar, when she's, Scrubbing the floor is one of the tasks that Amarantha gives her in Actar 38. She says this, I try not to look at my left arm as I scrubbed the floors of the hallway. The ink, which in the light, actually looked a blue so dark it appeared black. Now, here's where people like to argue with me. They're always like, well, it has to be written in blood, so wouldn't it not be black? And wouldn't it be like a dark blue if, like, because I kind of have this long theory that we will do an in-depth look at later on, that the Illyrians are actually male witches, or they come from witch lines. And as we see here, Ferris' tattoo isn't black. It's a dark blue. (laughs) which makes me want to scream like i can't describe to you like how badly i want to screech right now reading that because it's an illyrian tattoo that we that we see later on here in akamath 30 Farrah says this. Their tanned, muscled arms were both covered in the same manner of tattoos that adorned my own hand and forearm. The ink flowing across their shoulders and over their sculpted pectoral muscles between their wings, a line of them ran down the column of their spine, right beneath where they typically strapped their blades. We get tattoos when we are initiated into the Azalirian warriors for luck and glory on the battlefield, Cassian said, following my stare. Further down, my tattoo, I realized, had been made with the Illyrian markings. Perhaps Reese's own way of wishing me luck and glory while facing Amarantha. <laughs> In Akamaf 17, she says that Reese's tattoo, a dark line of swirls. In 33, she says that Reese's tattoo, whirls. In Akawar. 13, Pharaoh describes her High Lady tattoo. She says, swirls and whirls. In Akawar 14, Reese's tattoo, a whirl of Illyrian tattoos. In 39 of Akawar, Reese's whirls of tattoos. In Akaphas 5, Reese's tattoo, swirls and whirls. In Akasif, Nesta sees Cassian Illyrian tattoos on his chest as a swirl. And furthermore, Akamath 16, when Pharaoh first sees Azrael, she notices truth teller and she says this he'd be the one to look out for the knife in the dark indeed an obsidian hilted hunting knife was sheathed at his thigh it's dark scabbard embossed with a line of silver runes i had never seen before later in akamath 28 when we're in Farah is inside reese's head so we it's a reese's pov he says this asriel's knife was out balanced on his knee truth teller the same name stamped in silver runes on the scabbard which sounds like what damaris's scabbard which is covered in word marks which aelin knew were word marks Mm. illyrian tattoos are word marks i will fight you on this there aren't many things like a lot of the time especially with theories i'm like I can see both sides. I can see where you might not believe me, blah, 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 blah. But literally, literally every single time that their tattoos are described, it is only described, every single time only described as swirls and whirls, which are 90% of the time the way that word marks are described, swirls and whirls. So I will fight you on this. The next time, and so this is where people start to argue with me about this, because I have talked about this on my TikTok quite a bit, but in Akamath 37, when Amrin and Farah are taking the Book of Breathings from the summer court and they are getting stuck, she says this, I reached the door, sliding the box into the wide inside pocket of my leather jacket, while Amrin's blazing palm flared against the door, burning and heating the metal, swirls and whirls raiding out, though as if they were a language all of her own, and then the door burst open further down. Amran reached the door and slammed her palm into it. Symbols flared again and again, but the door held. And then when they're just dis- talking about the book of breathings, they say this. "'It was not a book, not with paper and leather. It had been formed of dark metal plates bound with three rings of gold, silver, and bronze, each word carved with painstaking precision, and it was not an alphabet I could recognize. Yes, indeed, it turned out my reading lessons were unnecessary.' "'Reese left it inside the box as we all peered in and then recoiled. "'Only Amron remained staring at it. "'The blood drained from her face entirely. "'What language is that?' Moore asked. "'I thought Amron's hands might have been shaking, "'but she shoved them into her pockets. "'It's no language of this world.' "'Only Reese was unfazed by the shock of her face, "'as if he had suspected what the language might be, "'why he had picked her to be the one part of this hunt.' What is it then? Asriel asked. And she stared at the book as if it were a ghost, as if it were a miracle. And she said, it is, <clears throat> I'm not even, I'm not going to pronounce it because I'm going to butcher it. I'm just going to butcher it. And then people are going to yell at me and I'm not going to say anything. The holy tongue. Those quick silver eyes shifted to Resand, and I realized she understood it too, why she had gone. Resand said, I heard legend that it was written in the tongue of mighty beings who feared the cauldron's power and made the book to combat it. Mighty beings who were here and then vanished. You were the only one who can decode it. So people are like, well, if the Illyrian tattoos are word marks, then wouldn't Amorin read them? Wouldn't Amran know? But in what universe <laughs> is Amran helpful? <laughs> like at all. I love Amorin. I love Amorin. She scares me and I like it. But if they are, like, there's a reason why Amorin is so comfortable with Reese, so comfortable working with the Night Court. And I think it's because she sees part of her past in them, maybe even, like kinship, maybe, in some way, if that makes kind of sense. Who's to say that Amorin doesn't know what the Illyrian ruins are? Who's to say that Amran just doesn't care to tell people? Like, she's never been a person who's answered a question honestly. Ever. Like, ever, ever. And they're like, well, then wouldn't Reese know what the Illyrian ruins mar- are? Yeah. Reese probably does know what the Illyrian ruins are. And... Furthermore, word marks are a written language. They're not just spells, they're not just whatever. We see throughout Throne of Glass that they can be used as regular books, like just a written language. I I I see where people argue with me about it, but I respectfully disagree. Illyrian ruins are word marks. Or at least a type of word mark. Maybe. We do see when Pharaoh is doing the spell that Amryn gives her from the Book of Breathings. She talks about how it hurt to speak it, how it made her throat dry, which is just like when Aelin uses word marks and spells as well. In Akawar 75, she says, I fought, I fought with every breath to get through the spell, my arm half submerged in the cauldron as Amryn went under the dark water that filled it. I said the words with my tongue, said them with my heart and blood and bones. I screamed them. So, The next places that we see word marks throughout Akatar is in Akasif 52 and Akasif 53, where they're in the room where the harp was situated. And this room really does mirror Alina's tomb, if you go back to it. And I think I've said it before but she says the mountain itself held two peaks at the very top a stone jutting from its sides were carved with strange ancient symbols as old as the song itself this is when she was unwittingly scrying while listening to Gwen sing and this is when she's in the room but rather than red stone it was carved with black rock symbols that were etched into the smooth floor into carving walls raised toward the ceiling so high it faded into gloom spells and wards pulsed throughout the room but there in the center of the space set on the floor as if it had been laid there by someone who had merely walked away and forgotten it was the harp and then in acts of 53 when she's in the room it's, she says this raised symbols carved into the floor cast shadows against the crimson light the entire round chamber was full of them at the center the golden harp covered in intricate embossings, set with silver strings the pressure of the spells pushed against her calves her hips her body squeezing her lungs these are no wards that i felt before she whispered standing still as she waited for any hint of a triggered trap they feel old incredibly old They probably predate this place being used as a prison. And then she asked Cassian, do you not recognize these markings on the ground? No, not at all. She loosened a long breath. I don't think any traps were triggered. He nodded. Be quick. Now again, people were like, well, if Cassian's tattoos are word marks, wouldn't he recognize them? Well, no, because the word marks are incredibly intricate and they change even with the slightest flick of a thing. And it's not to say that the Illyrians even know what their tattoos even mean. All right, let's just move on to when can we see word marks in Crescent City? The first one being Bryce's tattoo that's written on her back. And we get to see a little bit of this tattoo kind of throughout the story. It's just like glimpsed here and there. In Crescent City 28, we really get a good description of it for the first time, and it says this, the tattoo down her back, scrolling, beautiful lines in some alphabet he didn't recognize, rose and fell with each deep breath. Then again in Crescent City 42, it says this, Hunt picked up the jacket and read, through all love is possible. Bryce nodded, the tattoo on my back says the same thing. Well, in some fancy alphabet she dug up online, but... Danica had a thing for that phrase. It was all the Oracle told her, apparently, which makes no sense because Danica was one of the least lovey-dovey people I have ever met. And then it just kind of fades off. So that's what Bryce thinks it says. But then we get this in Crescent City 77. But Bryce said, as cool as that sounds, Governor, this tattoo says, the language is beyond that of this world. It is the language of the universes and it spells out a direct command to activate the horn through a blast of raw power upon the tattoo itself. So that phrasing, the language of the universes, come on, that's, that's the word. That's word marks, that's the word. I'd love to know where Danica found word marks. We don't get that, but I'd love to know it. I'd love to see that. The second time that we see word marks, I think, I think, would maybe be in HOSAB 9 when talking about Cormac's tattoos, and it says this, The crown prince of Avalon had changed into a climate-appropriate gray t-shirt that did little to hide the considerable muscles of his arms. A tattoo of strange symbols encircled his left bicep. The black ink gleamed in the bright lights." Sounds a lot like Illyrian tattoos. Illyrian tattoos are probably word marks, so I'm going to assume that his are word marks as well. The next time we see what could be word marks is in Hosab 29. I've read this chunk before when we were doing the very first episode. The bone quarter with those big spears that are sticking out. This is Hunt's POV, and he says, Thick spears, many inscribe, but not with names, just strange symbols, grave markers, or something else. It's something else. It's word marks. (laughs) And then the next time we see them is in Hosab 45. The, it says, this is when they're in the submarine ship thing. And it says this, the city ship began sailing along the floor of the canyon, the seabed, usually flat and broad between the towering cliffs. They passed a half crumbling pillar and... Are those carvings, Rune asked, as Sendes led them back down the hall. Yes, she said, a shade softly, from a long, long ago. Therian said, what's down here? He scanned the canyon passing, he scanned the passing walls of the canyon floor, all of them carved with strange symbols. And then the last time we see them is with the underking in Hosab 62. And this is when Hypaxia and Ethan are trying to summon Connor and they act, accidentally get, well, maybe not so accidentally get to the Underking. it says this. The Underking lifted a bony hand and an eerie greenish light wreathed his fingers. Ethan could have sworn ancient strange symbols swirled in that light. Sounds just like Amran and Agamath. <laughs> so that's it. Those are the times where I think we see word marks in other SJM other books in the other worlds. All right, let's go back and talk about Word Gates. We get Word Gates in that TOG 27, in that passage where I kind of skipped about and didn't finish reading all of it, and that's because I wanted to talk about these little bits individually. So this is when Selena's in the library with Kale, and she says this about Word Gates. There are also the idea of word gates, which appear numerous times alongside the mentions of word marks, but she'd never heard of them. When she first stumbled across the notion of word gates days ago, it had seemed interesting, so she researched digging through piles of old parchment only to find more puzzling theories. The gates were both real and invisible things. The humans could not see them, but they could be summoned and accessed using the word marks. They opened into other realms, some of them good, some of them bad. Things could come through from either side and slither into Aurelia and it was due to that that many of the strange and fell creatures of Aurelia existed. The next time we see word gates is in Crown of Midnight 37 and it's in that riddle about the word keys and part of that riddle it says by the valg three were made of the gates of stone of the word obsidian the gods forbade and the stone they greatly feared. And then later in Crown of Midnight 40, this is when Yellowlegs is talking to Selena, and she says this, there are gates, black areas in the word, that allow for life to pass between the worlds. There are word gates that lead to Aurelia. All sorts of beings have come through them over the eons, benign things, but also dead and foul things, that creep in when the gods look elsewhere. And then later in Tower of Dawn, when Yurine is reading the Song of Beginnings, she gets like kind of the first image, the first time the Val Kings used the gates. And it says this in Tower of Dawn 10. Kneeling before what was atop a crag, a towering gate, no wall flanking it, no keep behind it, as if someone had built the gateway of black stone out of thin air. There were no doors within the archway only swirling black nothing. Beams of it shot from the void. Some foul corruption of the sun, falling upon the soldiers kneeling before it. She squinted at the figures in the foreground. Their bodies were human, but their hands, clutching their swords, clawed and twisted. "'Valg,' Urine whispered. Thunder cracked in answer. Eurene scowled at the swaying lantern as the reverberations from the thunderhead rumbling beneath her feet and up her legs. She flipped through the pages until the next illustration appeared. Three figures stood before the same gate, the drawing too distant to make out any features beyond their male bodies, tall and powerful. She ran a finger over the description below and translated, Orcrius Manatex, Aeruin. Three Valg kings, wielders of the keys. Eurene chewed on her bottom lip. Lord Westphal had not mentioned such things. But if there was a gate, then it would need a key to open it. Or several, if the book was correct. And then in Tower of Dawn 31, the hearth mother is telling a story of the Stragon striggen spiders. And she says, Before any mortal ruled these lands, a rip appeared in the world, in these very mountains sartak's face was unreadable as his hearth mother spoke but nezrin swallowed a rip in the world an open word gate here it opened and closed swiftly no more than a flash of lightning as if an answer a veins of forked lightning lit the sky beyond now you're like lillian what's up with all that lightning what's up with all that thunder mm. i don't know and when we tell you it makes my little theory brain, like, start screaming on the inside. And we'll talk about it ag- later. We'll talk about it later. Just just keep your eyes, in your rereads, in your rereads, keep your eyes out for all that thunder that likes to respond to people. Later in Tower of Dawn, when Nezrin tricks the spiders to tell them the story of Maeve The spider says this, the spider remained quiet for a heartbeat, another, and then she settled herself beneath the carvings of an archway, the word gate. Later down, she says, no, Orcreus, eldest of the kings, they wed, but Maeve was not content. Restless, our queen spent long hours pondering the riddles of the world, of other worlds. And with her gifts, she found a way to look, to pierce the veil between worlds. To see realms of green, of light, and song. The spider spat if such things were abhorrent. And one day, when Oricarius was gone to see his brothers, she took a path between realms, stepping beyond her world, and on to the next. Nezrin's blood went cold. How? She had watched, and learned of such rips between worlds, a door that could open and close at random. Or if one knew the right words the spider's dark eyes gleamed we came with her her beloved handmaidens we stepped with her into this place to this very spot nezrin glanced at the polished stone even Falcon seemed to pause and do the same, and she bade us to stay to guard the gate. And then later down, they say, That Orcreas arrived, his brothers in tow, that Orcreas had learned of his wife's leaving and discovered how she had done it, went beyond what she had done, and found a way to control the gates between the worlds, made keys to do so, and shared with his brothers. Three keys for three kings— They went from world to world, opening gates as they willed it, sweeping in their armies and laying waste to those realms as they hunted for her, until they reached this world. And then further down, so she stole the keys, managed to send two of those kings back, Orcreus, one of them, before she could go after the final king, the youngest one, who loved his brothers so very dearly the keys were taken from her. We do get answers on how the kings did this in Koa, but before we get to that part, I want to read a few pieces in Koa of word gates. This is the, the next few chapters I'm going to read all our one scene, and it's the scene where Aelin is shutting the word gate, and we're going to start from when they're forming the lock, and then we'll end when she goes through the worlds. But I'll let you know when I move to the next chapter. As it had been once before, so it was again, the beginning and end and eternity, a torrent of light, of life that flowed between them, two halves of a cleaved bloodline. I'm going to pause just so I can point out some things as we read along. This beginning section, as it was once before, so it was again, the beginning and an eternity, this sounds exactly like when Nesta was in the cauldron. And then they say, a torrent of light, of life that flowed between them. I think this is first light that it's talking about. And you'll see why I think that in a, in, in later down, uh, I'll say it again. But I think it's first light that it's taking from them. That's what they needed to form the word gate. Mist swirled, veiling the solid ground beneath. An illusion, perhaps, for their minds to bear where they now stood. A place that was not a place... In a chamber of many doors, more doors than they could ever hope to count. Some made of air, some made of glass, some of them flame and gold and light. A new world beyond each, a new world beckoning. But they remained there, in the crossroads of all things, in bodies that were not their bodies. They stood amid all those doorways, their powers pouring out, pooling before them, blending and merging, a ball of light of creation hovering in midair. Every ember that flowed from them into the growing sphere before them, into the lock taking form, would not return. It would not replenish, a well running dry forever, more and more and more, ripping from them with each breath, creation and destruction. The sphere swirled, its edges warping, shrinking, forming into the shape they had chosen, a thing of gold and silver, the lock that would seal all of these infinite doors forever, still they gave their power still the form of the lock demanded more and it began to hurt she was aelin and yet she was not she was aelin and yet she was infinite she was all the world she was she was aelin she was aelin and by letting the keys into her they had entered into the true word gate a step or thought or wish would allow them to access any world they desired any possibility An archway lingered behind them, an archway that would smell of pine and snow. Slowly the lock formed, light turning metal to gold to silver. Dorian was panting, his jaw stretched tight, as they gave and gave and gave, their power toward it. Never to see it again. It was agony, agony like nothing she had known. She was Aelin, she was Aelin, and not the things that she had set in her arm, not this place that existed beyond reason." She was Aelin. She was Aelin. And she had come here to do something. Had come here promising to do something. She fought her rising scream as her power rippled away. And then a little further down, I'm gonna- I have to skip some bits because it's, like, really emotional and, like, it's really hard for me to read it. Koa- I'm emotionally scarred from Koa. Like, I haven't even been able to do my reread of Koa because I am terrified. I am- absolutely terrified of it. And then in Koa 95, they, I'm just going to read a tiny sentence. It says, as the word gate's misty realm vanished, Dorian saw Aelin take his father's hand. And then in Koa 97, Aelin has pushed the gods out. Mala says, does this, Mala held out her hand again, and the image formed within it of the tattoos across Aelin's back, the new tattoo of spread wings, the story of her and Rowan written in it in the old language amongst the feathers and a flick of mala's fingers the symbols arose from it hidden within the words the feathers word marks rowan had tattooed word marks on her tattoo had inked word marks all over it a map home mala said to him he had suspected it somehow that it might come to this had asked her to teach him so that he might make this gamble for when aelin looked behind her to the archway into her own world she indeed could feel them as if the word marks he had secretly inked onto her were a rope, a tether home, a lifeline to the to eternity. A map home, a map inked in the words of the universes that would lead the way. And then in Koa 99, it says, She was falling falling and being thrown the word gate sealed behind her and yet she was not home as it closed all worlds overlapped and she now fell through them she plunged through world after world after world just as the word gate slammed shut with a thunderous crack all other doors with it i know that the 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 part about rowan's tattoo should have been up earlier i somehow messed up and i'm sorry about that but it was written in the words of the universes which is basically what micah says so yeah Bryce's tattoo is word marks. (laughs) I didn't read all of Aelin falling through the worlds because we're going to talk about other worlds next week. So I'm going to read all like all of that in one go next week. But I just wanted to point out that when the door shut, all of the worlds overlapped, kind of like the pancakes, and she fell through them because she was in the word. She was in the, I would say the realm of the word. And she went through them to her world. That makes literally, I feel like that makes it so much clearer of what Sarah is trying to say about realms versus worlds. Now, the last thing we have to talk about are word keys and wordstone. And surprisingly, I don't actually have a lot to say on these two topics because there's not a lot of information that's really relevant. We get that the word keys are these thrumming, otherworldly presents that talk and whisper, they're kind of awkward. Uh, unnatural and the only thing that i really want to focus on are the creation of the word keys where we get and we get this in koa 113 and irwin says this irwin panted as he approached healer he breathed his unholy power emanating from him like a black aura she backed away a step. Closer to the balcony rail, the Dark King followed her, a predator closing in on a long-awaited prey. Do you know how long I have looked for you? The wind tossed his golden hair. Do you even know what you can do? That sounds a lot like Regulus to Bryce and Starborn. She hesitated, slamming into the balcony rail behind her, the drop so hideously endless. How do you think we took the keys in the first place? A hateful, horrible smile. In my world, your kind exists too, not healers to us, but executioners, death maidens, capable of healing, but also unhealing, unbinding the very fabric of life, of worlds. Erwin smirked, so we took your kind, used them to unbind the word gate, to rip The three pieces from its very essence. Maeve never learned of it and never shall. His jagged breathing deepened as he savored each word, each step closer. It took all of them to hew the keys from the gate. Every one of the healers amongst my kind, but you, with your gifts. It would only take you to do it again. And with the keys, now returned to the gate. Another smile. Maeve thinks I left to kill you, destroy you. Your little fire queen thought so, too. She could not conceive what I had wanted from you. Before Maeve, before any harm could come to you, and now that I have, what fun you and I shall have, Urine Towers. And then later in this chapter, it says this about Yurine's power. The power of creation and destruction. That's what lay within her. Life-giver, world-maker. Bit by a bit, she burned him up, starting with his limbs and working inward. And then again, it says, Urine's power was life itself, pure, undiluted life. And then it says that urine's power was, again, a world-making power. And I just think it's very interesting that Mala's power, Mala's bloodline, is what was used to, was needed to put the keys back into the gate. And it was healers that were the ones to take it back out. And that in Crescent City, it was a starborn and first light to used to remake the horn, to heal the horn. It's all there. It's all there. Healers being part of the Starborn bloodline and that Aelin comes from a Starborn bloodline. Also, Dorian comes from a Starborn bloodline. How the Archeron sisters are all quote-unquote made and how they can call made items to them sounds kind of like Starborn to me in this same theory. Okay, so, wordstone. The only thing I have to say about wordstone is that I actually think that it is obsidian salt, and it's specifically that in Tog, all of the slave mines that we read about were obsidian mines, and that obsidian salt, as we learn in Crescent City, is summoning salt, and I think that they were creating, like, concentrated summonings through these collars and through these word keys, and I I, I need to go back and reread through Crescent City, but I am I wonder if we see, like, this uh, ick feeling, almost, from um, Obsidian Salt. What is interesting is that the obsidian, or the word stone, in qu- pro- quotations, always came off as cold, and when Bryce does summon Adis to her, it was very cold, so I wonder if that had something to do with it. Okay, so to recap before we end class today, that word is fate, and that word marks are a manipulation of fate. We now know that Nehemiah, Aelin, the king, Dorian's dad, that stone creature in the basement, Irwin probably, Maeve also probably, Rowan, a lead, Lorkhan by association, Amron, the underking, and probably Jezebel can all read Word marks and use word marks somewhat proficiently the, la- the the final question that I have out of all of this is the reason is the reason why Hypaxia and Ethan could not summon Connor to them was that because Ayen had shut the gates, and that now there is no more dead talking. I I wonder how that's going to affect um hypaxia's ability, her necromancy ability. That's just my like that's my final question on all of this. Um I hope it is my hope that you were able to glean at least a little bit of understanding from this that maybe something was helpful in here. I know that today's episode was a little bit weird on the way that I had it all set up and hopefully it helped in some way that it was a little bit broken up and kind of mushed around rather than Tog first, then Akatar, then Crescent City as I had used to be doing it. That is the end. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to see you next week where we will be talking about worlds and all the other worlds and kind of breaking down mostly that chapter in the Dust Truth Room and trying to figure out which worlds are which and where have the Asteri been. I think we figured out today that the Asteri were probably on Aurelia and they were those beings that had left those ruins from beforehand, but we'll see. Goodbye!